hears you. Episode 9, A Mirror Glass. I never liked doors. That's a weird thing to admit, isn't it? It probably makes me sound a little crazy, if we're both being honest, but I always was the weird kid in school, so I'm used to the looks I usually get. It's just kind of how things go. You try to be honest with people, and I mean real, real honest, and in the end all you get back is this blank look that feels like they're staring straight through you. It's like they see someone standing on the other side, like you're just in the way, and then they laugh and smile and shake it off before running away to tell this weird story to someone they like a lot more than they like you. Not that I was ever bullied or anything like that, I just wasn't popular. Although after a while, maybe that almost means the same thing. Bullying by exclusion, maybe? I don't know. It seems like a thing, even if I can't really put a name to it. My family lived just a bit out of town, far enough that no one wanted to come out that way, but close enough that I could never fully convince my parents that my life would be so much better if we moved into the suburbs. I'd tell them we needed to change everything and move, and they'd look at me with raised eyebrows and say, you want us to move 15 minutes closer? With this sardonic, witty tone. It was a hard point to argue, if I'm being honest. What, do you, what are you supposed to say to that? That's the one thing they always had on me, I think. They were good people, and they understood completely why we were where we were. I, on the other hand, I absolutely did not. I just wanted to be a little more popular than I was, which wouldn't have been much of a leap, and I thought the thing holding me back was our geographic location. It wasn't, of course. That's just how it feels sometimes. Being young is a strange feeling, and it's easy to believe in one singular effect on everything when really there's just always a bit more to it. I thought I was unpopular because I lived out of town. That wasn't it. I was simply raised by a family that prioritized a lot of things other than refined social skills. I thought my family should support me by picking up and moving deep into town, but they could never do that because they owned and operated a little independent business, making intricately ornate mirrors they'd then sell at art fairs. That became a full-time job with the introduction of the internet, and they needed the little renovated farmhouse that has always sat right behind the house I grew up in and eventually became an old-school glass-making factory. Then I thought my life would be so much better if I just didn't have any family at all and could do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted, because that's how stupid children can sometimes be. It's why we run away from home and make rash decisions and think that every day after we move out will be the best days of our lives, only to get to adulthood and find out what a crippling and demanding bore it can be. And that's part of growing up, I guess. Sooner or later, you get to the point where you realize your parents were doing the best they could, even if sometimes they weren't that great at explaining it. You look back on the little hiccups of life where you never felt heard or listened to, and you suddenly realize that it wasn't that they cared about other things more, but that you simply weren't saying anything out loud. That's the truth about youth, I guess. All our greatest insecurities are always buried in the things we didn't say 
or drowned in the certainty that we'd already said them when in reality we never had. There was this girl I was crazy about in my first year of high school and I thought she was just about as good as it could get. She had this incredible laugh and bright red hair and this body that... Well, it was high school and you know how hormones can be. Just suffice it to say that she was everything a young me could ever want and I spent day after day wanting her and shooting her quick looks and quicker smiles in the hope that she'd figure out how I felt and everything would be smooth sailing after that. When she didn't, because that's not how people have ever worked, I chalked it up to some great failing on my part. Every time I saw her laughing with friends, I imagined she was laughing about me. What a joke, they'd say, as if he ever had a chance with me. And of course that's not how it was ever actually going, but it's definitely what it felt like at the time. It was almost easier to believe that than it was to see any failing in how I went about my life. Realistically, I should have realized pretty quickly that she never noticed me because I never had the confidence to walk up and talk to her. Realistically, I was never some walking punchline to her so much as just one more face in a fairly large high school and someone she just never really knew too well. And that's where it's healthy for the mind to go. But my parents were busy with the whole glass making process and I never really felt comfortable asking them about the whole boy girl thing. So I spent most of my youth trial and erroring through social situations that never really did a whole lot for me other than to give me a fair bit of an anxiety issue. Again, that gets chalked up as being no one's fault but my own, but I really did wish I'd had some way of realizing that a little earlier. Where was I going with this? That, that's, that's right, the door thing. Do you know that feeling you get when you find you're scared of something but you really never know why? Most things make sense. You're scared of water because you almost drowned as a kid. You're scared of heights because you don't want to fall. You're scared of bees or spiders because you have a deadly allergy. All that stuff makes sense. It's hardwired into us because of one singular bad thing that happened once upon a time and it stuck with us like a sliver that worms its way under our skin. But then there are the other things that, if they are caused by some repressed memory, then it's one that's buried so deep you'll never in your life be able to find it. That's, that's me indoors, or I guess it would be a bit more honest and telling if I were to say not just doors, but anything that looks like a door. And look, I'm, I'm not insane. This isn't something where I walk up to a door and collapse in fear. It's just more like a budding anxiety. You know how when you're little and you're trying to sleep in your bed but all you can focus on is the closet door and whether or not it is slowly creeping open inch by dreadful inch only to find out in the morning that it never moved at all? It's about like that. Think of it as a constant anxiety, like the feeling you get when you find a spider on your arm and you spend the next 12 hours convincing yourself you can feel another one crawling along your leg or down a small of your back. That's doors for me. Doors are those eight little imaginary legs crawling along your skin and trying desperately to find somewhere to go. If you put a gun to my head and forced me to come up with something that caused that fear, I don't think I could actually come up with anything remotely sensible other than a vague feeling of maybes and who knows. Although it would make a lot of sense if one night I was half asleep and saw something walk out of a closet that should have been empty. 
If I told that to a psychologist, they might say something like, perhaps I had a hidden memory. Maybe at an incredibly young age, I'd seen my mother having an affair and the man had hidden in a doorway or a pantry or something like that. And since I hadn't been able to process it, I developed a fear of black hole doors instead. That would have made sense, a uh, decent amount of sense anyways, except for the fact that my parents were nothing if not decent people. They had their flaws, of course. They were incredibly driven in a professional sense, and because of that they were a bit distant from me, even while being romantically connected in ways I always admired, but they never came close to leaving the kind of hints or clues that would leave a breadcrumb trail to an empty closet and something that snuck out in the night. Still, there was a time when I'd been a bit more open to that line of thought and had even asked my mother if she was happy. She didn't pick up on any of my amateur sleuth signals and it just smiled so incredibly wide and said that yes, she was. She said she'd never been happier and I guess that was enough for me. That was all I needed. And then of course there was the simple fact of everything else that happened. It would have been hard to believe in an affair gone wrong after all that, but I just want to make clear that I'm not callously dismissing the ideas of professionals. They undoubtedly know more than me. They are undoubtedly smarter than me. But at a very certain point in my life, I figured out that we were just talking about very different things. They were talking about shadows I'd created, and I was trying to talk about shadows that were already there had always been there, and would remain whether I understood them or not. And I know what you might be thinking, you might be wondering if it's all doors, do I feel that creeping sense of dread when I walk into a store for example? And the answer to that is no, it's only certain times and in certain scenarios. I think the easiest way to put it would be, the time has to be right. I guess you could think of it as a knock on the door. You don't answer unless someone is outside waiting for you, their finger pressed against the doorbell or their knuckles bloodied from repeatedly knocking and the hope to get inside. So no, not, not all doors, just some of them, some of the time. Long empty halls with a door at the end are pretty rough on me. So are any doors that are open or closed at night, so you can imagine what a joy that makes me. I mean, it's easy enough to get around. If I'm sleeping with someone, that usually calms me down more than well enough, and if I keep a couple lights on, that seems to more than do the trick. I guess what I'm saying is that there's just an itch, the kind of deeply embedded fear that makes you wonder if it's a timeless evolutionary thing or something darker and stranger and more mean and cruel. But all doors aren't the same, and I think the very first time I realized I might be in trouble was when I found that all doors don't even have to be doors. And for God's sake, I, I know what this must sound like, but please bear with me. I, I swear it's important. Have you, have you ever held a mirror up to another mirror? I'm talking face to face with you standing right there so you can see down that eternal pitch black tunnel that keeps going and going until you swear you could step right into it and find outer space. I know, you probably don't think that's a door at all, but you're wrong. I don't know what the actual definition of the word is, but to me it's always been simple enough. Whatever can be walked through, in or out, is a door. Or maybe that's a doorway, I don't know, but you get my point. 
If something is coming or going, it's a door. And I found out when I was 16 that mirrors can be doors too. Most of the time they just hang there and they're absolutely nothing at all. But sometimes, sometimes if you stand in front of it with another pane of reflection, it's not closed anymore. It's something leading somewhere desperately far away. And the more I think about it, I don't think it's a place we were ever meant to find. Maybe that's why I've always been afraid. Maybe a part of me always knew that there's something in the darkness looking back. It was a hot summer day. I remember that part well enough. I remember every second of that day, if I'm being honest. And I was helping my dad in our little makeshift factory to fulfill an order. It wasn't a big job, and unlike some of the others, it wasn't particularly ornate either. But I didn't really have the desire to do the hour-long walk into town. Uh, if you think the heat is bad, just add an endless march down blacktop to the equation and it'll sound so much worse. Besides, I never really had a problem with helping my dad work on his projects. They were always interesting, and unlike a lot of people my age, it really did resonate when he said things like, take note of this, and it's, a good, it's good to learn a trade. And I mean, it's not like I wanted to build mirrors for a living, but it was a cool thing to know how to do. I imagined myself being in some sort of dating scenario and being asked about my talents and getting to say, well, if you ever need a mirror maid, I'm your guy. I don't know why that sounded cool to me at the time, but it did. When you don't have a whole lot of tools in your belt, you might as well work with the one you've got. So we were doing our thing. My dad had finished all the heat work the night before, so we were really just rigging up the frames he'd sculpted and welded by hand, and I got the job of hanging the finished orders along the far wall of the barn. That was the part of the job he insisted on most. Once the day's work was all lined up, he said he was able to see any imperfection, any incorrect hang, and any little flaw that was only visible when compared to all the other products of his imagination. It was a bizarre thing to see when you get right down to it, since it usually meant seeing a man in his late 50s walk up and down the length of a barn as he stared at his own reflection in countless mirrors. But that didn't mean it didn't work. He had a process he'd clung to for my entire lifetime too, and he was really good at what he did. I think it's important for you to know that I'm not just saying that as my father's son. He was a truly gifted man, and it was a genuine pleasure to watch him work, even if it sometimes meant missing out on things kids my age were usually doing. And I figured there'd always be time to have a normal life. I was wrong, but I think I was right at the time. It's just hard to see some things coming. At that point, I think we had 14 in a row. After he set his hooks and wire in the back, he'd carefully hand it to me and I'd walk it to the rack of carefully spaced nails pounded side by side by side along an endless 2x4. And he knew I had my issues, um, and it was for that reason that the big swinging door at the front of the barn was swung wide open to let in great quantities of heat and light, but I'd never had a problem working in there, so it wasn't much of a concern. It was as safe a place as I'd ever known, really. I credit him for that. No matter what I was going through at a given time, he'd always been there for me and willing to let me work my frustrations out in silence as we turned ordinary nothing into beautiful bits of art that people would pay great amounts of money for. And that was my day. I'd take a mirror that was usually no bigger than three feet by three, 
and he'd begin his process again as I made my slow walk down the line of reflections of myself until I found the next free nail from which I could hang what would presumably be another perfect and approval-stamped piece. I don't know why things were different that day. I don't know much of anything, if I'm being honest. I think I must have heard something, though. A bird, maybe? Or maybe a car backfired on the highway that ran about a hundred yards from our house. It's hard to say, but I did hear something. Maybe it was him. If I'm honest, that would make as much sense as anything else. All I know is that when I was most of the way down the hanging line, I heard... What was it? A sound, some sort of distant sound, and I turned with my mirror and saw myself standing there in the reflection, and I watched as that singular thing, a boy in a mirror, spiraled down that long tunnel of reflections that looked so much like a door that had somehow been thrown wide open. It looked like the open end of the barn, except instead of daylight there was only darkness, and as each reflection of the mirror grew smaller and smaller, the door spiraled further away. If it had stayed that way, I would have been alright with it. I would have been terrified, as I always was, but it would at least have been something I'd seen before, a fresh new door to be afraid of. But it didn't. As most things go when we find fresh new fears, things never tend to end when we'd like them to. We are instead left standing at the edge of a canyon and wondering how deep it can go. The first thing I remember seeing was a hand, and even though I wished it was my hand, I knew it wasn't. It came from so far away, deep at the other end of the tunnel I'd accidentally made, and it gripped one edge of the black door my reflections had built. A second hand followed shortly after, on the other side, as if this was someone pulling themselves up through an attic door, and then not long after that came the body. He was tall and lean, hunched over to one side as if he couldn't quite stand up in the world he'd found, and even though he seemed to be so far off in the distance, I could tell he was looking at me. I could see it in the way his head rotated from side to side as if he was an owl, first one way and then the other, and I swear to you I could hear bones cracking as he did. It sounded like when you walk through a forest or a park and little twigs or pine needles are crushed beneath your feet. I guess now that I think about it, it sounded so much like quietly breaking glass. I thought I might be in trouble, but I wasn't certain until he started to run. Still hunched over, but standing as tall as he could, it was as if once he saw me, he decided there was only one way out. Like a dog born to run who finally sees a gap in the fence. And with every little black door reflection of a smaller and smaller mirror he passed through, I heard the splinter of bone and the quiet crack of glass, and each time he was a little bigger. Each time one of those distant mirrors vanished, having been broken away, he stood a little taller and his black eyes seemed more focused. And he just ran. His strides became longer and longer, and all I could focus on was the intensity of his face and how excited he looked. How thrilled he seemed to be that he was finally somewhere other than where he'd been. I wish I could say that I snapped to attention and acted quickly and bravely. I wish I could say that I did anything even remotely like that, but I didn't. 
I was so frozen by the sheer impossibility, so terrified of what was coming, that for the longest time I almost did nothing at all. I don't know what would have happened if I hadn't heard my dad calling to me. His voice sounded so far away, as if I was lost in the tunnel and he was trying to bring me home, but it was enough. It was more than enough. And as the hunched man broke through the second to last mirror, I brought up the one in my hands and smashed it against the other as hard as I could manage, showering the ground and the world around me in shards of pointed glass. It was only then I could hear my dad again, his panicked and angry and urgent words echoing through the barn as he ran toward me. I only vaguely remember the way he grabbed my shoulders and shook me, asking if I was okay, if I'd been hurt, and what went wrong. At a certain point, I felt white-hot pain sear through my cheek as he slapped me, but I don't blame him for that. I think I was just staring at him and at the large, broken pieces of so much hard work that clung to a frame and littered the hardwood floors, some bits larger than others, but every one broken beyond repair. Searching the reflections of the barn's ceiling and those that caught bits of my dad's movement and my own, he kept asking me what had happened. That much I'm sure of, because you always want to remember what your parents sound like, and you always want to remember their last words. The thing I remember most, though, is the way he looked at me when an unnaturally long arm slipped through a pile of glass that had gathered together just enough and grabbed him by his left leg. I remember what it sounded like when he screamed, first in surprise and then in pain as simple long fingers slipped through his skin as if it was nothing more than wet tissue paper. I remember the look in his eyes, the terror I told him I'd felt all my life when I saw doors in the dark and the distance. And then I remember what it was like to see my father pulled into broken pieces of broken mirrors and how it cut and sliced him into ribbons like a meat slicer in the supermarket deli. It was the sound that brought me back fastest, that awful noise skin makes when it's being cut that sounds so much like ripping denim jeans. Even though he was almost halfway gone, pulled up or down to his waist through a little collection of glass as blood poured from his mouth and his head lolled off to one side, I grabbed hold of the hands that were pulling my father and slashed at them with a broken shard of one of the many mirrors he'd been so proud and happy to make. I told him it would be okay. I screamed it as I cut away at the hand that was holding him, watching as skin became muscle and muscle became bone. I told him everything would be alright, even as I watched the hunched man chew and tear and pull at the bits of my father that slipped through to his side, his teeth so sharp that they might as well have been filed. And I kept trying to whisper to my father that I'd save him, even as I watched in a dozen reflections as the hunched man giggled while blood splattered across his face like rain. He kept giggling, and it was this horrible, high-pitched sound. It almost sounded like a bird call, and I might have believed it was if it weren't for the way it seemed to bubble up from his throat as he swallowed long lines of my father, one ribbon or rope at a time. I wish I could have saved him. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt he would have saved me. But when all that was left was his head getting pulled and tugged through that last collection of shattered glass and his eyes had long since glazed over in death, I fell back and away from the hell of it all, finally aware that the only arm I'd been cutting through was my own. I don't know how that had happened or why I hadn't been able to tell my own flesh and pain from his, 
But as I cradled my ruined arm against me and tried not to let the last strands of muscle fall away when that's all that was keeping my hand from tumbling to the ground, I knew only to blame it on the mirrors. There must have been a reflection. I must have seen something that wasn't there or was, just not in the same place or space that I thought it had been. I don't know the answer. I don't know a single thing. I just know that on that summer day, I saw my father die in a way no one should have to, pulled apart in front of his son by a creature who'd slipped through a distant open door. My mother found me a short time later, laying in the center of the barn and in front of a pool of blood. The only thing left of my dad and her husband was a shredded piece of scalp that clung desperately to a four-inch shard of glass. I lost consciousness not long after she'd started to scream. As you can imagine, the next couple years weren't easy for me. I spent a lot of time institutionalized, and for a brief spell, my face was plastered across TV screens as the most likely murderer of a talented craftsman. They said I was quiet and kept to myself at school, that I fit the profile of a loner who might have finally found one bridge he couldn't cross, but sooner or later that died down too. The local police brought in everyone they could and called in every favor, but even they couldn't figure out how a body could vanish into a pile of blood and glass without a sign or drop anywhere, but in the center of a room that had once been the source of the work he loved so much. I wish I could forget the sound of laughter. I wish I could forget the look of confusion and shock on my father's face as he'd slowly been pulled and cut apart. And I wish I could forget that circle of blood I'd struggled through in an effort to cut free a man who was already gone. But I can't. Those things will be with me until the day I die. My mother, she doesn't talk to me anymore, even though we tried to make things work for a while. I would never think to blame her, either. Some things you just can't get past, and as soon as she knew I was going to be alright and the chaos of the law had finally died down, she packed up a moving truck with all of her possessions and memories and left without saying goodbye. I don't know where she went, though I'm sure I could find out if I wanted to, but sometimes people just need space and I'm more than happy to give it to her. I knew I shouldn't have told her what happened and what I'd seen and dad had felt, but I'd been so desperate for someone to believe me regardless of how insane it all sounded. I wanted her to look me in the eye and tell me that she knew I'd done everything I could to save the man we both loved, but there was an emptiness in her eyes that so reminded me of the man in the glass that I knew she couldn't really hear me. She didn't want to know about the door or what had pulled her love away. She just had to leave, and she did. It's been about a decade now since she left, and I still live in the house I grew up in. I refuse to make mirrors anymore for obvious reasons, but I do manage to make more than enough of a living selling hand-sculpted frames like the ones we used to make together. It feels wrong to do it, but you'd be surprised how much your opportunities dry up when your dad gets pulled into a mirror never to be seen again and your mom leaves in the dead of night. I had to do the only thing I knew how to do, and while I'm almost certain the first several hundred frames were purchased by disgusting trash who wanted a bit of morbid curiosity to add to their decor, I seem to have settled into and found my niche. 
once in a while, a customer will ask me over the phone if I could just please create a finished product just this once and just for them, but I've never said yes, and I know I never will. And it's not solely due to the trauma of the matter. I do want to say that, although I truly believe that is more than enough of an excuse. See, sometimes the voice on the other end of the line sounds different. It sounds wet and desperate, and like every whispered, prodding plea is said through filed teeth and barely restrained laughter. I always hang up before I start to hear that tittering laugh, that birdsong giggle, but even still, I know who or what it is. I don't know how he's calling to me, or if it means he's still at least trapped in a place he can't escape. I just figure that if he were out there, it wouldn't have taken him 10 years to find his way back to me. I just wish I didn't see him, you know? Every door I come across, I imagine his hands popping up in the corners as he hauls himself up. Every jogger who runs down the road sounds like the uneven sprint of that man as he ran through door after door on his way to me. And the reflections and all things, I think that might be the worst of all. I was medicated for those for the longest time, but no matter the drug, no matter the dosage, they never really went away. Whether it's a shimmer of water in a puddle or something as inane as a storefront window, I see that man walking with me, hunched over with black eyes staring, and he's always carrying the head of my father in a fistful of long black hair. I wish I didn't know what it's like to see long strands of skin trail from the neck or cheek and drag along the ground, but I wish for a lot of things. I always have and I always will. I wish nothing bad had ever happened to me. I wish I'd never opened the wrong door. And I wish I had my family back. But they're gone. They're gone, and the only company I have is the man in the reflection who seems to know that it's only a matter of time before I slip up again. Before I turn just right and one surface shines into another, and then that door will be open, and then he'll have one more to step through. And, and me? I suppose I'll have nowhere left to run. I, I suppose if you were to ask me on a good day, I wouldn't want an escape route. There's a part of me that wants to see the thing that killed my father, and hopes he'll come back so I can try to make things right. But all I have to show for trying to stop him the first time is an empty home and a hand that wasn't able to be reattached. If I get desperate enough, I have a pair of needle-nose pliers that would be more than capable of pulling out my eyes, and I think that might do the trick. I figure if I can't see him, or the doorways, or the reflections he walks along, maybe he'll never be able to get through. But even that seems like a gamble I'm not particularly willing to make. What if it doesn't matter if I see the door open or not? What if he'll come running anyway? Then I'll be nothing more than a sad blind man, sitting in the middle of the house he grew up in, waiting for the arrival of something I can't see coming. I think perhaps that might be worse. I think if the end is storming down the hall, I at least want to be ready. But then again, my father was alert. He was aware. And I don't think I'll ever get over the look of stricken terror that froze on his dying face. No one should have to remember a loved one like that. No one should ever 
ever have to see sharp teeth hungrily tear through shredded skin and bone. I don't know. I, I guess I wish I had more options. I wish there was an ending I could picture where the man on the other side of every reflection was just no longer there, but I don't think that's how this works. At least I still have the pliers, so it's good to have options, but I hear the phone ringing again and I think perhaps it might be him. So do I have to kill my hearing too? That, that hardly seems fair. Then again, my parents had always told me that life isn't fair, and I guess they would know that part a lot more than most. I just wish I knew why. Why it had to be me. Why it happened. Any of it. At this point, and after all this suffering, I think the smallest answer would suffice. Unfortunately, I think the simplest way to put it is that he found me. Whether that's my fault or someone else's, or maybe just a nasty trick of fate, I probably won't ever know, but he did. And all that there is left to do is wait and see whether or not he can find me again. I just wish I had someone to talk to, you know? It's a burden that I think might be killing me. But hey, if that's how I go, that's how I go. At the very least, it won't be as bad as getting pulled through a pile of broken glass and your father's last shattered mirror. He was so proud of what he'd made. And I was too. It just doesn't seem right that the things we love most could ever turn against us. And it's not right that I have to live in constant fear that one day, one day I might just forget to lock every last door.